Welcome to North Coast Church, and thank you for joining us for today's message. Pastor Chris Brown is going to be continuing in our series, Life or Death, on the book of John. To prepare for today's message, we encourage you, download our message notes or utilize our North Coast Church app. There you can fill out a connection card and put in your prayer request. Now let's join Pastor Chris Brown for today's message. It's the type of phone call you never, ever want to get. And yet when they do come, you drop everything, everything, and you just go. I know I'm fighting LA traffic because no matter what time of day you're in LA, there's traffic. And by the time I get to the hospital, I, I get up to the floor and I'm told the family's not accepting any visitors. No one's allowed in the room. And uh, when a family has lost a loved one, especially a child, you understand. Give the family whatever they need. I'm hesitant though, the, the dad called me and so I'm like, do I say that, do I not, do I? And so I, I grabbed the head nurse and I said, hey, I was called by the family, I'm their pastor. I don't know if you wanna tell them that or not. There's a big piece of paper over the hospital room door that says no visitors. And so she decides just to open the door and step in and steps right back out and says, yeah, they want you in there. And so I walk into the room where there's a young mom and dad and their precious little infant who has passed away. And the dad gets up and gives me a big hug and says, I need you to do something for us. And I'm like, yeah. He goes, I need you to pray. And I go, that's why I'm here. And he goes, I need you to pray that my child comes back to life. And I tell you, it's that moment that you're hit with, am I a man of faith? I'd like to say I am, but is that what I was walking in preparing to do in this room? No, I'm praying for the comfort of this panel. I'm praying for the grief. I'm praying for, I'm, I'm what? And he goes, Chris, how many people, how many people were brought, dead, brought back from the dead in the Bible? And I, I, think, I think roughly, I think there's 10. I think there's 10 people. He goes, do you believe God can do that? I go, I do. But in this moment, I don't know how to, and a dad and a mom that are just said, we've kept everybody out of here for the last hour waiting for you to show up. Can you just try? Oh, church, I'm gonna tell you, it was one of the most awkward, heartbreaking. And I said, you know what? We're gonna just pray this entire situation and put it into God's hands. And I believe if God wants to raise someone from the dead, he can, I mean, he has, but I'm telling you, I don't believe it. And so is it my lack of faith that's keeping someone from raising from the dead? Is it my lack of spirituality? Haven't you been there? Haven't you prayed for a miracle and yet you know, I don't think it's gonna happen. Haven't you prayed for a miracle in the most dire of situations and yet part of you goes, I don't think it's gonna happen. So is it my lack of faith is why the tumors grow or the cancer kills? Is it my lack of faith that got us? And it just comes down to the question, why doesn't Jesus heal everyone? Do I believe in the power of God? Of course I do. Do I believe Jesus can, and you fill in the blank and I say yes. I believe Jesus can anything, everything. I do, I believe. I know the power of God. I sense the power of God. I've seen the power of God. I read about the power of God. Well then, why don't you pray for this? And I go, because I, I, I don't think that's the way it works. Why doesn't Jesus give us the miracles we're praying for? Is the problem on our end? I don't have enough faith. Or is the problem on his end that he only has a chosen few favorites over the history of the time and the world? And I'm obviously not on that list to get the favorite miracles. Something's wrong. And what I know about the power of God, what I believe in miracles, what the Bible says, and yet what I experience in my everyday life. And if you've ever been in that zone of, yeah, why doesn't he? We're gonna look at a passage today that has helped me get such clarity on, can God work and do miracles? Yes, he can. Will he? I don't know. Is it your lack of faith? Is it your hesitancy? No, maybe this passage. Open your Bible, John chapter five. We're only five chapters into this book of John looking at life or death. And today we really take a look at life or death. Is Jesus all that he says to be, claims to be, or isn't he? And what does that mean for my life? 
my future eternal life or my death based on that belief. That's what this book is written about. And we're gonna watch a miracle today and we're gonna get caught up in the miracle, but there's a greater miracle in this passage that I think we miss. And if we don't get this today, I think we walk through life looking for the wrong miracles. And then we shake our fist at a God who doesn't give us the miracles. Or we walk in regret that if only I had more faith, maybe they'd still be here or maybe this would still happen differently. And I think we gotta see a perspective change from John chapter five. So if you got a Bible, open it. John chapter five, verse one. Oh, North Coast Online, thanks for joining us. I know I keep shouting you out because I love my paradise, but East Cape Christian Fellowship, over 130 people last weekend. You guys are all crowded into that. Wow, you may have to go to two services. You all know at least five or six people out there in Los Barrios that aren't coming to church. Why aren't you inviting them? Don't come to church alone. Keep bringing it, man. Just keep bringing people into the word of God and see what happens in that town. Can't wait till I'm down there in July when you're all gone. John chapter five. So sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number, circle, highlight, underline, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. And one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? <laughs> Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool. When the water is stirred and so while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. A couple things about this story. Some of your Bibles or translations may have verses that aren't in the NIV that said, for occasionally an angel would stir the waters and the first one in the pool would be healed. They're not in the earliest translation of this Bible. We think probably a copyist added that line to help explain what was going on here because what we have is the guy simply saying, when the water is stirred, when I try to get into the pool, someone always gets an anatomy. So here, just north of the temple, just basically across the street, across the gate, is a large pool with five different covered porches. Here, people would bring all, all the sick, all the disabled, all those with physical challenges, and they'd leave them for the day. And for a couple reasons, how do you take care of someone in the first century like that? You don't want to leave them alone. You bring them to a place that has five big covered porches out of the sun. It's got a pool. It's a nice setting. And there's, I, I don't know, have you ever heard that sometimes there's, there's comfort and misery? There's misery and comfort. There's, what's that saying? Buck, I always look to Buck and he always does this. And I said, I'm going to mention your name anyway. Misery loves comfort. Sometimes you're just with other people and just go, okay, we're all in the same situation together. But also there's eyes on your loved ones. So you can go to work. You come back at the end of the day and you pick them up and you can bring them home. It's just across from the temple. So people going in and out of the temple tend to be a little more generous. Have you ever noticed when you're in church, you tend to maybe want to give God, tip God a little bit to you know, get a little bit of that lucky dust on your side. And so people walking out of the temple can go by and maybe they can share food, share drink with your loved one. And it's a gathering place of those who are physically challenged hurting. And yet there also seems to be, whether or not it's true, we don't know, but this idea that every once in a while the waters would be stirred and the first one in the pool would be healed, which by itself is kind of a lousy way to look at healing. Every once in a while, randomly, an angel would stir the water and the most undeserving, the most abled who can run and get in the water gets healed? Everything about this scene just shows the despair of what's happening. And as Jesus is walking by, he asked, because said he found out there was one of these guys who's been crippled for 38 years, his entire life. Do you, you realize the life expectancy of a male in first century Roman empire was around 33 to 35? That's it, the life expectancy of a male. Now, a lot of that is brought down because the infant and child mortality rates in the first century, but your life expectancy is around 33 to 35 years of age. This guy's entire life at 38, he's been crippled. And this is where he's brought to lay. And Jesus walks up and simply says, do you want to get well? Which seems like a pretty rude opening statement. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to be healed? 
Well, that's why I'm here. It's been 38 years. And the man replies, that's why I'm here. But every time the water is stirred, someone gets in ahead of me. There's no one to help me in my situation. He has no clue he's talking to the Messiah. He has no clue who's talking to the one that can heal him. But let me tell you how impossible my situation. He puts the blame on other people. He's given up hope of being healed. This is just my lot in life. This is where I lay. But have you ever noticed that Jesus sometimes starts with some really basic, almost too basic, simple of questions? He asks the blind man, what can I do for you? And the blind man's like, seriously? Why do you think I'm here? He asks this man, would you like to get well? He asks the disciples, how many fish and bread do you have? As if Jesus doesn't know how many fish and bread they've collected. But what do we call talking to Jesus? We call talking to Jesus prayer. And, and maybe this is where Jesus wants to start. I'm gonna start with very simple questions that he already knows, but just saying, hey, how are you doing? How's things going? What do you have? What is it you want? And our response is, what do you mean, how am I doing? How's it going, what do I have, what I want? You know, you know, and he's like, but he's just starting conversation. We've said it before. Prayer is not something we do with someone we're with. I hit that last week. It's just opening conversations. Maybe the next time you pray to God and start going through a list that he already knows, maybe just start with, hey, so here's what's going on. Here's how I'm doing. Here's what I'm feeling. It seems to be that's where he starts with people. Even in cases that are very clear what the man needs and wants. Would you like to be made well? And yet maybe there's another side of this of Jesus going, do you really want your life changed? In 38 years, have you become so familiar with this, so accustomed to this, that this is just who you are in life? Have you given up hope of change? Whatever problem, whatever situation, whatever current event you're in, do you really want your life changed or do you just want it blessed? Do you really want your life altered greatly by God or do you just want favors from God? Is laying close to the temple, close to the celebration, good enough for you? Because the pool is just across the street. And this is a time of great celebration. Jesus went up to Jerusalem because it's one of the seven feasts of celebration. Just being close is enough or do you really want to be made whole? Do you really want life changed? What is it you're looking for? And, and, and this is the sign. Remember, the book of John calls all of the miracles a sign. What does it look like? What does a miracle need? Write down three things. A miracle needs an impossible situation. That's what makes it a miracle, an impossible situation. So showing up to the mall around Christmas and finding a parking place up front isn't a miracle. I know we say it is. Oh my gosh, oh, so late and I come up and there's a parking space right up front. That's a miracle. And that's great timing. That's not really a miracle. That's not an impossible situation. Cars have to leave at some point. Another car gets there at some point. Not a miracle. We're looking for an impossible situation. What you and I cannot do on our own. That's, that's what a miracle needs. It needs, secondly, it needs a willing subject. And that's what we find in this guy. Jesus is, are you willing? Is it that you really want to be made whole or not? Do I have a willing subject? Are you so comfortable with your situation? Are you so comfortable being close to the temple, close to God, close to it, that you're like, it's good enough? Or do you really want full change? And then lastly, the power of God, <laughs> which amazes me. You have five covered porches around this pool. Everyone is there because they need something, but everyone is watching for their miracle. Everyone is waiting for the water to be stored. Everyone is waiting for a miracle. Everyone's waiting for the right time. Everyone's running moving. And Jesus is standing in their midst. Like what you need, what you're missing is present but you have your mindset on something miraculous, something spiritual, something supernatural. And Jesus is standing there with enough miracle power, power of God for everyone in the courts. <laughs> and they all miss his presence. And maybe that has something to do with this perspective we're about to find out. Jesus says, pick up your mat and walk. And the man picked up his mat and walked. And at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. What happens in that moment? What happens in that moment when a man who for 38 years couldn't stand up, couldn't pick up, couldn't walk, does it all at once? 
It's not a gradual strengthening. It's not that your muscles, your bones, your joints, and after 38 years, you need extensive physical therapy before you start even moving a little bit again. No, this is a complete physical healing. This is the God of creation saying, I can fine tune creation, what you cannot do for 38 years, what's gonna take months and months, even if I could make you well of recovery time and physical therapy, I can do all at once because he's creator. And that man's able to stand on bones and ligaments and muscle and structure that shouldn't be able to stand after 38 years, pick up and walk. Can you imagine the joy that surrounds us? Can you imagine the celebration going on? Can you imagine the shouts of this man, the disbelief? Those that have been around the pool, because that's where they are every day. Those that are put at the pool every day, hoping for their miracles, now see one in their presence. Oh, let me promise you, this is like a celebration bomb went off around the pool everybody after 38 years of knowing who this man is and what is from everyone takes part of this and what does jesus do he skedaddles he gets out of the way he gets out of the scene he completely disappears watch what happens in the story and it's going to throw us a little bit about what we think of miracles you see the day on which this took place was the sabbath so the jews said to the man who had been healed it, it is the Sabbath and the law forbids you to carry your mat. It's not just the Jews, it's everyone. John throughout this book is gonna talk about the Jewish leader, just saying the Jews, those in leadership of the people are gonna say it is the Sabbath. It is our day of ceasing, our day of rest. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, when the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk, I'm just doing what the man told me to do. Well, now the question comes, so they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? <laughs> what? No, no, 38 years, I haven't been able to move. The man who healed me said, pick it up and walk. The response is, who told you to pick it up and walk? They completely missed the miracle. They completely missed the celebration. The question of Jewish leaders should be, whoa, somebody healed you after 38 years? Who is it that healed you? Who is it that restored you? Who is it that brought celebration back to your life? No, 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 their question is, who told you to do this? It is our day of rest. It is our Sabbath. <laughs> and the man who was healed had no idea who it was for or because Jesus slipped away into the crowd that was there. Why? Well, Jesus doesn't want anyone to know. He's humble. Nope, he's gonna come back and he's gonna show himself. He's gonna come back and let the man know who he was. Read on with me. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now circle, highlight, underline, stop sinning and write John 9, 3, John 9, 3. Jesus makes it clear, and it's not gonna be till four chapters from now, in chapter nine, they see someone else with disease and the disciples go, who sinned, this man or his parent? See, there's still a belief that because you're hurting, because you've got an illness, because you have a disease, because you've got a physical challenge of some sort, you must have sinned or did his parents sin? And in John chapter nine, Jesus goes, no, no, there wasn't sin, this is brokenness. No one's sin led up to it. So when Jesus tells this man in the temple, stop sinning, he's not saying that's what got you into it. What Jesus is saying is, look, I'm gonna seek you out I want you to know who it was that healed you. So not across the street, the pool, not where the five columns are, not where all the broken, sick, diseased are laying, but in the temple where this man has gone to celebrate, where he hasn't been able to go in 38 years, where brokenness hasn't been able to live, where brokenness isn't allowed to celebrate, where brokenness hasn't allowed to take part of the joy. You're just across the street and you can hear this celebration. Now this guy gets in the temple. And Jesus comes in and lets him know who he is. But then he says, look, there's something worse than what you're dealing with for 30 years. It's a life of sin. That's got a far worse consequence. See that you don't sin. Look, look, I may have saved you from some physical brokenness, but let me tell you, there's a spiritual brokenness that is far worse than anything you've gone through in the last 38 years. That's what I need to tell you. And by the way, this is Jesus' way of leaving his calling card for the man. And this is the God that has healed you. And the man went away and he told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day. And I too then am working. Now for this reason, 
the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. We gotta take a small time out and a break here. There's so much here that's disturbing before we get back to do we or don't we get miracles today. We gotta call a little sidetrack on this, a little side note to beware of legalism. Again, when John is writing, the Jews hate him. The Jews are looking for a way. The Jews are upset. He's talking about the Jewish leaders that run Jerusalem at that time. This isn't an indictment against Jews. I've said it before, I married a Jew. People ask, is the church okay with your wife being Jewish? And I'm like, yeah, we're not racist. Um, Jewish is an ethnicity. It's a heritage. It's an amazing group of people. Judaism is also a religion. My wife's family are Messianic Jews. They believe Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Lord and Savior. They believe in Old and New Testament, a beautiful picture of the Bible. And I got to marry one, so half my kids are chosen, and the other half are prayer requests. And so this is not an indictment against Jewish people. It's about Jewish leadership is what's going on. And he goes, let me tell you, they're not excited about the miracle. They're not excited about 38 years of brokenness being healed. They're not excited about celebration at the time of festival, at a feast of celebration. What they're upset about is legalism. Who told you to carry a mat? Carrying something that size and that heavy is forbidden on the Sabbath. And, and people, let's look at it for a second. Let's do a little sidebar. Then we'll come back to the miracles, if or why not, or are they happening, or what is going on here? Because I think a lot of us can just get legalism still back into our life today. So I wrote down, I put at the bottom of this, Charles Swindoll, I'm using his book, again, Bruner's book on this, um, uh, uh, David Guzik's book on this, uh, Harris's book on this, and Morris. But um, let me just give you legalism. What is legalism? The establishment of standards carefully selected by people for the purpose of celebrating human achievement under the guise of pleasing God. That was a mouthful. The establishment of a certain set of standards carefully selected by people. That's crucial. By people for the purpose of celebrating human achievement under the guise of pleasing God. What do we call this? We call this religion. So the Bible will say, here's how we need to live People will come and put all kinds of standards. People will come and establish all kinds of rules and regulations. Say, if this is what God says, then we better not, better not, better not, better not, better not, better not. And that's just saying how many better nots. It's all the to-dos and not to-dos and do's and don'ts. And we call this religion and religion can lead to legalism. And it's trying to celebrate human achievement. It's your works. It's your good life under the guise of pleasing God. But this is how you please God. So legalism back in, in this day and age, I talked about it a couple weeks ago about the Mishnah, about the Jewish book of rules and laws. The Mishnah is gonna have 24 chapters on what does it mean to celebrate the Sabbath? 39 sections of what you can do and can't do. See, it goes back to the first two pages of the Bible. There's a creation narrative, and it said at the end of that, God took the seventh day, a day of completion, when, when creation was done and God rested. And there's two words for rest that are used in that. There's a ceasing of your work, and then there's actually a rest, and this is what we're created to do. See, God knows Chris, and God said, if I don't put a governor on Chris, if I don't put a stop on Chris, Chris will work himself to death. A lot of us will do that. My job is also my hobby. My job is also my passion. My job is also one of the favorite things I like to do on my day off. Oh, that gets very, very bad in a hurry. Our job is where we can find my affirmation, my approval, my validity. And that's why we are prone to be workaholics. And God said, I know that about you. You serve a God that works. God didn't need to rest and recuperate. God needed to cease work. And then he says, I created you in fellowship with others. You're gonna rest and you're gonna enjoy God and others in your life on a day. You can't work seven days a week. You're not supposed to. The Old Testament had these Sabbath laws then. What the Jewish leaders did in the Mishnah is they took that and they broke it down to be so many little things of what God meant. What God meant was a gift for us. What God meant was for the Shabbat, the Sabbath, to cease. Chris, stop. Stop work. Stop, it's not good for you to go seven days in a row. Stop, cease, and be with God and those that you love. I tell you, in all of our trips to Israel, I, I always hope we're in one of the larger cities when the Sabbath comes. I always love being in Jerusalem on the Sabbath. All the freeways are empty. 
You get to your hotel room and you look out and the city is just at a dead stop. It is so weird because in our culture, we will never go into a big city that is quiet. I, every time I'm with a group and we're in a big city like that, I tell them it seems like the zombie apocalypse and they're like, it does. Like you got these huge highways and only one or two cars and you're like, Muslim, Muslim. Jews can't drive on the Sabbath. You're not traveling on the Sabbath. There's still so many rules and regulations of what you cannot do, shall not do. Yet the problem is you're gonna take something that God meant for a gift for you and your family and your personal self and you're gonna put so many restraints on it that it's gonna become a curse. It's gonna become legalism. I need to preface this because my mom and dad both came from really bad backgrounds. So when they got together, my mom had my brother and sister already. When they do this blended family, my mom and dad just tried to keep their family from going down the path they both came from. And so with that in mind, with the best of motives, my mom and dad found the most religious sect they could and say, let's go there. Maybe this will safeguard us from what happened in our first marriages and protect this new family. My mom was pregnant with me at the time, so they knew, okay, we gotta get married, we gotta do something different than the way we do in life. God bless them. What they didn't realize then is we got into legalism. You, you can't watch cartoons, you can't go into a house that has a pool table in it because billiards are bad. I still don't know the reason for most stuff. Women can't wear shorts and they can't wear jeans. They can't wear pants. They had to wear culottes, <laughs> these skirt type things. Um, we couldn't go in the swimming pool if guys and girls were together, never in the same swimming pool. You couldn't listen to music that had a beat to it. Um, there couldn't be drums in church or electric instruments in church. It was piano, organ, guitar, as long as you didn't slap it and get a little carried away with it. There's all these rules and regulations that we had to grow up in and under for a time. God bless them. The motives were great. If this is what God wants, then let's make all the rules to keep us as far close to him and as far from sin as possible. But God doesn't need man-made rules. And let me tell you the problem of legalism. Legalism denies God's grace and presumes to earn his favor through deeds. So legalism... It denies God's grace and it presumes to earn God's favor through works. What's the whole New Testament? Why almost every message I teach, it comes back to grace and mercy, grace and mercy, because I am a product of grace and mercy because I lived early on as a product of legalism and legalism made me run from God. It is impossible to please him. Out of these 24 chapters, God said to have a day of rest, ceasing work and have a day of rest in relationship with others and me. The Jewish leaders had turned that into 24 chapters, 39 sections of prohibition, like sowing, plowing, reaping, gathering, threshing, winnowing, cleansing, cleaning, grinding, sifting, kneading, baking, shearing wood, washing, dyeing, spinning, making things, making two cords, weaving two threads together, weaving stitches, tearing to sew, catching a deer, killing, skinning, preparing, cooking, um, scraping, cutting, uh, two, writing two, more than two letters, blotting out for the purpose of writing two letters, how to clean, I mean, it was just crazy. 24 chapters of what you can't do on the Sabbath. You can't pull a grain of grass or wheat or barley. It's a sin to do anything that would promote the ripening of fruit, such as watering or weeding or removing a withered leaf from a tree. If a person plucked a mushroom, they had sinned twice, once in pulling a mushroom, second, knowing that a mushroom would grow in its place again. A radish could be dipped in salt, but not left too long in salt because it may start to pickle and that would be a work in progress. A person could not wear false teeth on the Sabbath lest they fall out and that person would be tempted to pick him back up and picking up false teeth would be work on the Sabbath. If you got mud on your clothing, it could be gently crushed by a person's hand and shaken off, but it cannot be rubbed out, blotted out, or cleaned with any wet garment. It went on and on. People today, legalism still exists, and almost every religion and sect that wants to try to please God by my work and by my human behavior. It was some years back, but in the LA Times, I fact-checked this with five different sources. Tenants, <clears throat> sorry about that, everybody. I never got so passionate and excited about what I was teaching that I coughed up something. That was sick, that was gross, and that's just real, and we're not going back or moving over it. We're just cut, put it in place, and we're gonna move on. Legalism, this is from the LA Times. I fact-checked it. This is coming, some of you are like, what just happened? I'm human, you're human. You ever been talking so much that you cough something up? There, I am too, there we go. Um, LA Times, tenants let three apartments 
in the predominantly ultra-Orthodox Tel Aviv suburb of B'nai Barak burn while they asked a rabbi whether a call to the fire department on the Sabbath would violate Jewish tenets. You see, observant Jews are forbidden to use telephones on the Sabbath because to do so would involve breaking an electric current, which is considered a form of work. They are, however, permitted to break the Sabbath laws in case of an emergency. In the half hour it took to come to the local rabbi to find out if they could call a fire department or not, the the fire spread from one apartment to two neighboring departments. No one was hurt in the blaze, but all three apartments were lost. Because of this, the insurance company now came in and goes, I don't think we're liable for this. How can you not be liable for a fire? Because you could have stopped it. But your religious views, legalism said, we can't pick up a phone and call, or can we? Is this a real emergency? Because right now it's just a kitchen fire. So they went to the local rabbi to find out if they could call or not. It's bizarre, but this happens in our lives all the time. Legalism is a group of broken people sitting around a pool waiting for mysterious waters to move so you can be healed. But the healing is only going to favor the least deserving, those that are most mobile, not those who need it the most. And so you spend 38 years in hopelessness waiting for some random act that we don't even know was true or not, but you were led to believe. Legalism takes a man in the temple and Jesus tells him who he is and this guy goes and he tells the authorities why do you rat out your savior because legalism has strict fear of those in charge of it that's the person I gotta go tell them otherwise I could be in conspiracy against Jewish leadership oh legalism is deep in its roots and let me tell you what legalism simply promotes legalism tends to produce either pride or depression. Both are the opposite of what God desires for us. Legalism is gonna tend to lead to pride or depression. Both are opposite of what God desires for us. Pride because I'm doing this better than you. I don't drink, smoke, or chew, and I don't go out with girls who do. That was a little rhyme that we learned early on. It was kind of one of those funny things, but even as a kid, I realized it's meant to be funny, but it's also true. Here's the things you have to avoid at all costs. And if you can keep up all 24 chapters, 39 areas of prohibition, you're it. Man, are you good. Now, you and I both know we can't achieve perfection, so you're hiding some stuff in your life. There's guilt and shame, but you'll never live on to it. Why? Because you're living under legalism. This is what a good Christian must do, should do, shouldn't do, can't do. And Jesus says, look, the saving power of God is here. It's here, and you're missing it because of rules, regulations, legalism. Or more than likely, in my life, it led to a depression. I'm never gonna be what this God wants. I'm gonna never live up to his decrees. I can never get to. God's law is very clear. Don't ever get drunk. We're filled with the spirit. Don't ever put ourselves into any narcotic, any other alcohol, anything that numbs us, dulls us, or on a different high that takes us out of the spirit. We're supposed to be Christians led and controlled by the spirit. That's it. Well, we made up all kinds of rules about alcohol. Oh, of course you can't have it. Of course you can't drink it. But you can't go into houses that have it. You remove yourself from the table if somebody has a glass of wine. I mean, it was just extreme going, that's not biblical. Jesus made great wine, wines throughout the Bible, alcohol. He's like, don't ever get drunk. That's it. I don't need your rules ahead of that. Don't ever get drunk. And I'm like, got it. Good. Let's go on. <laughs> but legalism says, oh, no, no, no. I'm going to give you pages of what that looks like. And so, yeah. We come to Christianity and say, nope, why? Because I tried it. What do you mean you tried it? I tried a religion of legalism. I'm not good enough to be prideful. I'm bad enough to be broken and depressed. Neither of those are what God wants. God said, I gave you a gift to stop, cease Shabbat working and to rest with me and the people you love. How has my gift become a curse to you? so much so that the religious leaders are blinded by 38 years of a life being changed and they just want to know who told you to carry the mat on a Sabbath. And when they come to Jesus, his answer pushes them over the edge. 
Verse 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. And Jesus said, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath law, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. You see, the word of God didn't become flesh to fix a broken religion. The word of God became flesh to fix broken relationships. He goes, man, I'm not here to get into your legalism. I'm not here to fix this religion. I'm here to show you relationship. The Christ that you are seeking is here, but because you've got so many rules, regulations, so many fallacies, so many miracles, so many right times, angel stirrings ahead of you, you're missing the miracle that's in your presence. Why did Jesus leave the pool? That's the question you gotta come to. The guy goes, I don't know where Jesus was. And it simply says that Jesus had slipped away when the celebration was going on. Why? I'll tell you why, because everyone would want their miracle. We may go, see, Jesus heals people. See, Jesus heals people. And I go, really, he doesn't. He healed a guy. And as soon as the celebration broke out, he got out of there. Why? Because everyone there was sick and needed a miracle. What kind of God runs from your miracles? What kind of God goes, you, you get my attention, but I'm getting out of here before everyone wants my attention. It's the type of God that comes back and says, let me remind you who I am and what the bigger picture is. There's a sin issue here. There's a greater consequence than your physical hurts, your physical needs, than your loved one dying. There's a greater consequence here. This is what I'm about. And I need to come back because the miracle is a sign that points to who I am. Don't get caught up on the miracle. Again, we've been doing this for four weeks, North Coast Online, come on church, this shouldn't surprise you. Don't get caught up in the miracle. The miracles are signs, they point to someone. We're not supposed to be fixed on that. Throughout the course of the entire Bible, um, I wrote down if my numbers, if my math is right, there are 42 miracles of healing in the entire Bible. 42, that's it. In the entire scripture, over 4,000 years of the work of God. That's it. There's 42 miracles of healing. Uh, 12 in the Old Testament, mainly around the period of miracles of Moses and Elijah and Elisha. And then there's 30 in the New Testament of healing. 22 of those are Jesus. Eight are by the disciples. That's it. 22. 22. In the history we have of Jesus and what he could have done and been, 22 miracles of healing. There's other miracles of calming the storm and fish and bread, but 22 miracles of healing, not demon possession, just physical healing. And that's why I wrestle when I'm in a hospital room. That's why I wrestle with love. That's why I wrestle. Now listen, church, I pray for healing. God, I know your power. I know what you can do. I've seen your power in amazing ways. But God, I also know that's not what I'm supposed to be about because that's not what you were about. In a scene where you could have done miracles, you got out of Dodge without even leaving your calling card. When the spiritual leaders hear what's happening across the street from the temple, God's power should be in the temple, but it's breaking out across the street in the temple. When they come, the guy's like, I don't know who he was. <laughs> as soon as I got it, picked him, as soon as the celebration broke out, he left. Why? Because everyone there needed a miracle. And that's not what Jesus was about. Who and what, who and what the sign pointed to is what this whole story is about. So let's read it. The Jews are upset because Jesus makes himself equal with God. Jesus' reply is, look, on the Sabbath day, my God is still working, I'm working. I'm doing the work of my dad. And when he called him the son and the father, that he made himself equal. You see, you made yourself the same identity, the same deity, in the same way my son and I are, are equal. You go, well, you have a position, it's your son. Yeah, but we're equal, we're flesh, we're blood, we're human, our DNA, our son, we're the same. We're of the same breed, we're of the same kind. And when Jesus said that, the Jews understood his statement. You're saying you're equal with God? You're saying that you were in the God as son, you're equal, you're the same kind, same flesh, same deity, same spirit? No way. And now they're trying to kill him. And Jesus goes, and this is why I did the sign. This is why I did the miracle. I'm gonna push a point here. You see, Jesus gave them this answer in verse 19. 
I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even, circle, highlight, underline, greater things than these. The first thing Jesus points out, it's a Jesus that was fully submitted to God fully submitted to God. You want to get on me for going against your legalism. Let me tell you, my dad is at work. The power of God is at work and I'm doing the work of my father. I'm doing what he tells me to do. I'm only doing what I see him telling me to do. I'm only saying what he tells me to say. God and I are one. I'm fully submitted working with him. And, and, and you think healing a guy in 38 years of his physical stature is something? I had you underline it. To your amazement, I will show him even greater things than this. What's greater than that miracle? He goes, guys, don't get caught up on the miracle. I healed a guy who has been crippled for 38 years. Life expectancy is at 35 years. In other words, this. I didn't heal him for long. (laughs) Guy's going to die. Of the 22 people that Jesus healed in the Bible physically, none of them are here today. It was a temporary healing. It was temporary healing. Man, we get close. So in even our parents' lives, when we watch a parent, even at the age of 60s or 70s, and we're just crushed. Man, it wasn't time. I wasn't ready. And it's like, well, how much longer are we going? Do you know a lot of 150-year-olds? Do you know a lot of 180-year-olds? We get so caught up in the temporary and we get so caught up in praying and thinking we have the faith or wondering if they're dying because we don't have the, of God doing the miracle. And Jesus goes, look, I didn't stick around to do miracles. I could have healed everyone at the pool. Well, maybe he didn't have the time. He could have done it with the wink of his eye. He could have done it with one word. He could have done it with a brush of his hand. He could have healed everyone in all five porches, all five colonnades that day. He healed one. And when that buzz spread, he took off because he realized mm, you're going to be about the wrong thing. You're going to be seeking the miracle. Let me tell you, I'm about to do greater things than that. And here's the greater things. Verse 21, for because just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give. You know what the greater miracle is? I can give life to those that I want to give life to. So he says, look, I'm fully submitted to God. He also shows us a Jesus that was equal with God. My father's work is my work. What God tells me to do, I'm doing. We're of the same nature. We're of the same spirit. We are father, we are son. Just like Chris and Barak are the same person, not the same person, the same nature and equality. He is a man like I am a man. So he says, look, I'm submitting to God. I and the father are one. The father's telling me to do. I am equal with God. And then he says, this is a Jesus that was the giver of eternal life. I'm going to do greater things than heal the guy. What's the greater things? The son gives life to whom he is pleased to give. That's the greater miracle. You can only give life if you are the source of life. You can only be the giver of life if you're the possessor of life. I can only give you what I have. This is another claim of Jesus. Man, they come bang, bang, bang. I'm equal with the Father. I'm fully submitted to the Father. I'm doing the work of the Father. And my Father's not stopped working your legalism. God's alive and well today. You've got so caught up in your religion, you forgot how to celebrate. You're so caught up in the rules and regulations, you forgot about the festivities. You got so caught up in your do's and your don'ts that you can't rejoice when the very presence of God is at work next to you. You're so fixed on your miracle or supernatural or what I'm looking for, you don't know who's standing next to you. He goes, legalism, religion is robbing you. And he goes into maybe the most legalistic religious place in Jerusalem, a place where all the broken are waiting for miraculous. And he's standing there. Your hope is there and no one knows it. So he starts a simple conversation. Would you like to get better? (laughs) You don't know how long I've been here. You don't understand. You don't know the people in my life. I don't. It's always someone else on the list. It's not me. And Jesus goes, and you have no clue the guy that's standing next to you. I am equal with God. I am submitting to God and I am the giver of eternal life. (laughs) I am the giver of eternal life. See, he gave the guy physical life. The guy was alive, 
but he gave him physical movement. And now he waits for the celebration to on. He waits for all those that want miracles to stay where they are. And he finds the guy in the temple to come up and go, hey, by the way, there's something worse. Stop sinning in your life. You know what's worse? The effects of sin, eternal separation. You know what's worse than your current situation? An eternity without Christ. So he comes back to show him the greater miracle. This is what I'm here for. I'm here to give you eternal life. And that, that starts today. And then he has these statements. Moreover, verse 22, the father judges no one, but it has entrusted all judgment to the son that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. You cannot have a relationship with God through any other source than Jesus. That's hate speech today. I get that. I get that. Or it's the most loving, truthful thing we got to share with others. You cannot have a relationship with God unless it's through the son. And Jesus goes, and God gave me that. It's a Jesus that's going to judge all people. If he claims that God doesn't judge, now the son judges, he's claiming to be God. Because who knows the hearts of all mankind? Who knows the life of all mankind? It's, it's God and God only. And Jesus goes, this is the greater miracle. I'm the giver of life. I'm the God of judgment and the God that's given you in. I'm gonna do greater things than healing a man temporarily who's gonna die anyway. And the greater thing is a sin issue. The greater thing is the eternal life. The greater thing is a celebration. The greater thing is restoring the gift that my dad originally wanted you to be able to cease from work, cease from heartbreak, to be able to restore relationship with those you love and a God that made you. How have you turned that into religion? 24 chapters of rules and regulations. I tell you the truth, verse 24. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, a time is coming and now has come when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live. For as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son to have life in himself and he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. Wow. So why didn't Jesus heal everyone? That wasn't the purpose. The purpose was to create another sign to show people who he was. And for him to come back in and tell people, this is who I am. I got your attention with that. If my purpose was to give you miracles, I would have stayed in the pool. No sense going to the temple. You people think you're fixed. I would have stayed in the pool area and just healed everyone. The world would have soon found out there's a guy in Jerusalem that heals everyone and everyone would have shown up. Remember back in Mark chapter one, very early in the morning, long before dawn, Jesus got up and he went to a quiet place to pray and his disciples came looking for him saying, Rabbi, the entire town has gathered to see you. And he said, then let's get out of this town and go somewhere else and preach the word. That's why I've come. Whoa, no, 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 no. You had done a miracle the night before of healing people. So everyone has brought their sick and broken. And Jesus goes, then we got to get out of town. Everyone wants me to do their miracle. There's a greater miracle. And the greater miracle is I've come to get rid of sin in your life. I've come to give life because I'm the source of life. I need you to know I'm the one that judges all mankind. I know the hearts of everyone and no one gets to God except through me. This is the purpose of healing a man. It wasn't so that we could all get miracles. It wasn't so we could all get our brokenness. It wasn't so we could all get our loved ones back. It was a compassion of Jesus and a power of Jesus to back up everything he had to teach that day. It was a 38 year walking illustration. So church, I still believe in the power of God. I still pray for God to move in amazing ways. And it's not my lack of faith, but here's what I know. God can move in the physical and the material world. It's called a miracle. Very few times in all of human history, including the Bible, did it happen. But God works powerfully in our spirit and in our soul. That's why Thessalonians says, when you grieve, when you cry, you will cry differently than the rest of the world. You will cry with the spirit who gives you hope. And there's even joy in suffering. So I don't think it's my lack of faith. 
It wasn't your lack of faith that caused a loved one to die or cancer still growing or limbs still don't move. Jesus says, look, don't get caught up on that. That was one. I didn't heal everybody. I used that to show a greater miracle. I'm gonna give you a relationship with God. I'm gonna cease Shabbat, Sabbath, the brokenness in your life, the work in your life, the toil in your life. I'm gonna restore rest, your relationship with others and your relationship with God. That is the work my father is about. And you turned it into religion? I'm gonna give you grace and I'm gonna give you mercy for the areas you fall short. And I'm gonna be your life because I'm the source of life. That's the greater miracle. I know like you, because I'm human, I, I live in this temporary broken world. I pray for the lesser miracles and I lose sight of the greater one. That everyone I have lost who knows Christ will be with me forever. And I live in a broken world and I will still pray for God to move and work in amazing ways. But I know in my heart and my head when I read scripture, that wasn't what you were about. You are about us spiritually, our souls and our spirit being well, eternal life here and an eternal home with you. That is an eternal miracle, not the temporary. I think it's a matter of perspective. My challenge for you this week is to walk in the greater miracle. Instead of looking for the waters to stir, instead of hoping and praying for the miraculous, instead of being bound by a legalism that said, I gotta do this, this, not this, not this, walk in the presence of the God that is with you. And realize I am complete, I don't deserve it, I will never earn it, I will never live up to it, but by grace, he calls me son, he calls you daughter. And I get to walk knowing I'm forgiven, and as we found out weeks ago, freed. And I have this rest, this Shabbat with my creator. And that life, that new source in me will change the relationships around me. And forever heaven is my home. Oh, there's the miracle. There's the miracle. May you practice the presence of Jesus this week and walk in the greater miracle and not get consumed by the lesser. Still pray for it. Still bring my hurts, my problems, my burdens to Christ. But my head, my hands firmly grasp the greater miracle. And I hope and pray for the rest. Maybe a different perspective change. It's the way he worked with people then. I think he's the same God now. Father, may we be people that don't get so caught up in our religion or trapped into legalism where we forget the presence and the gift that this relationship is supposed to bring. When we make it the guilt of not living up to all the do's and don'ts. May give us a perspective to see who you are with us today and forever. And then God, may we bear our hearts, our burdens. May we start conversations with just where we're at and what we want. And God, may the miracle be the work you do in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us for today's message. We look forward to having you back next week.